0: You know, in Harry Potter, when an elf gets a piece of clothing, it's, it sets him free? Yeah, of course. This is for you. A piece of toilet paper from the bottom of Mr. Trump's shoe. Uh, i treasure this.
1: You're a weird little dude, Jeff. Uh, and don't get cocky, Mr. Muller, because with this new Attorney General, you might be out of a job soon, too. And you'll be thinking, sometimes it laughs
0: in love, but
1: sometimes it hurts instead. But sometimes it hurts
0: instead. Hey, don't you worry, I'm still going to be a little stinker. <laughs> and live Life from New York, it's and Saturday! Saturday. Night.
1: Welcome to the Saturday Night Live After Party. This week we'll be discussing Season 44, Episode 5 of SNL with host Liev Schreiber and musical guest Little Wayne. I'm John Murray and with me as always is comedy aficionado and all-around swell dude, Steve Finn. If you'd like to connect with either of us, you can do so at snlafterparty.fm. And if you're enjoying our show, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whichever app you prefer to listen on. Your subscription helps us grow and your support is greatly appreciated. All right, Enjoy.
0: Ladies and gentlemen, Lena Schreiber.
1: So next week, SNL will be rounding out their November run with return host Steve Carell and musical guest Ella May. Uh, obviously, we're well aware of Steve Carell. Any thoughts on Ella May as a first-time musical guest?
0: I uh, I think she's a pretty talented young girl. Mm-hmm. I've heard uh, some of her stuff. What would you peg her genre as? Maybe pop. Uh R and B pop perhaps. Yeah. Definitely a hip hop kind of vibe to it all as well, but it's uh, it seems to be for, you know, for the younger generation overall.
1: Yeah. Uh, As always, I'm, I get excited when it's a first time musical guest and you can kind of live vicariously through the excitement that they must be feeling as they're being projected onto a national stage and, you know, just really given a shot. So that's always fun. It's a little bit electric. So I hope that she does really well. I always root for the the first timers. Yeah. Uh, but Steve Carell, he is not a first timer. He is a tried and true bonafide sketch guy who uh, is taking himself a little more seriously of late. Are we happy to maybe see a return to form and a little bit of silliness from Steve Carell when he shows up?
0: Oh, sure. And we got SNL to think to still have an outlet for right. the funny Steve Carell. <laughs> yeah. It's the only place we're going to see him. Yeah. yeah. For, for the time <laughs> being, we, we're going to have him playing Donald Rumsfeld. Right. Uh, in the upcoming vice and don't get me wrong. It looks like he's going to do an excellent job, mm-hmm. but we're not going to see Steve Carell, the silly, funny sketch guy that we know from his, uh, way back to his Dana Carvey days. Right. Um, this is a side of them I love and it's going to be pretty awesome.
1: Yep. Yep. He turned into good show last time he showed up. He's no stranger to the SNL stage or sketch comedy. So we can rightly expect big things from his show. And uh, yeah, I hope he brings the heat. Now we've managed to successfully predict one host out of the maybe 60 that we've covered so far on the podcast. Um, because of that, some of our listeners would like us to spend a couple minutes talking about our host hopefuls. For the remainder of 2018 heading into 2019. So do you have any uh, speculation on who you think might be stepping up to host SNL over the next couple months?
0: Yeah. It'd be great to see Tom Hardy. Okay. Uh, Maybe it's a little late, but Venom did really well in the box office. I think it's still out there. Mm -hmm. That would be a good, a good host. He seems like, you know, I mean, he's the best thing about Venom. If you watch it, there's a lot of flaws to it, but his performance <laughs> will keep you, keep you invested in the whole thing. So that's someone I'd like to see on SNL uh, sooner than later.
1: Okay. Now, uh, Aquafina, notwithstanding SNL season 44 so far has been a bit of a sausage fest as far <laughs> as our hosts are concerned. So my hunch is that we're probably due for a few more female hosts. And I've got my money on Rachel Brosnahan from the marvelous Miss Mazel, She seems like she's at the exact right point where SNL would kind of want to embrace her and capitalize on a bit of her Emmy heat and just the popularity of that show. Mm-hmm. And just kind of the fact that it's a New York based show centered around sort of the roots of the comedy scene in the village. It just seems like there's a lot of overlap with SNL and just the sensibility that she could bring to the show. So, uh, I, would really like to see her take a run at it. I don't know if she's even on the show's radar, but I think that would be a really cool show if they brought her in. And, uh, there's a little bit of chatter out there suggesting that maybe Drake's going to be in the mix for the Christmas episode and maybe Gaga and, uh, what's his face? Um, pretty boy from the hangover might be dropping Bradley in. Cooper. Yes. Bradley Cooper might be dropping in in early January. So I don't know if any of that's going to come to fruition, but that's uh that's all my Intel. That's everything I got to add. So if any of that happens, well, then people can sing our praises, but just know that this is, uh, always an impossible task. You're, you're lucky if you call one out of 10 and, uh, it's usually just because it's the obvious pick maybe during Oscar season or whatever, you know, there's a handful of people that seem like they'd be shoe-ins and occasionally you get one of them. And that's really all you can do with this kind of stuff, but fun speculation nonetheless.
0: Well, yeah, you can fish out one correct prediction with uh basic common sense. Yes. All right. So that's our host hopefuls. We'll see what, uh, what transpires. I like that. That should be a new segment. Yeah. Host hopefuls. Yeah. That's our host hopefuls. (laughs) Make a theme song.
1: Yeah. We'll pop in on it every few months. See if maybe we can peg the late spring, like the finale run. Um, With that said, let's take a look at our show for our cold open. We get Jeff Sessions swan song with a cameo from Robert De Niro as Robert Mueller.
0: What'd you think? I think it was a good go of it. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm pretty sure we've seen this, uh, this approach before. Just having him there on his last day, cleaning out the office and having a few people swing by on his way out. Right. It gives you that exact structure you need to go a few places before you cut to live from S- sure yeah. De
1: Niro will never hit a mark no matter no matter how cleanly you set him up you know cameras there on him ready to go Kate's <laughs> easing him in like an old man into a warm bath and he still can't hit the mark oh You're live God. from. S- <laughs>
0: He was trying Uh, to get right to Saturday night. You could hear it.
1: It's the cue cards that throw him off. You know, he, he just, he seems to get ahead of himself before he starts talking or something. Uh, but yeah, this is, this is what you get when you bring in Robert De Niro. He's, he's obviously game, you know, he's a good sport, but geez guy just does not do well, uh, in the moment on live TV when it comes to reading off cue cards, but we're not (laughs) going to harp on that too much. I thought this was pretty good. This was easy. Kind of like you said, you know, like sort of Predictable, obvious, nothing super remarkable about the premise of it all, Um, but fun. I felt like it boiled down to a lot of kind of like visual gags and like the best of Jeff Sessions, like his greatest hits. Mm -hmm. So yeah, nothing really remarkable, but I was amused. So I would say, yeah, this is serviceable, but they didn't break the mold with anything.
0: You know, for greatest hits kind of stuff, I think they went with um, some really big winners on it for sure. I just love that visual gag of the family tree.
1: <laughs> sure.
0: Yeah. Pointing to where his room is. <laughs> you know, as as tired as the whole possum origin story they've given him. Right. It still gets laughs for me uh, to this day. And uh, yeah. I guess we won't be getting many more of them unless he pops up in some other ways. Mm-hmm. But, uh, it was a great, like you said, swan song, right?
1: Uh, literally, you know, what do we make of Kate's performance of the Adele song? Did that seem like the right direction to go to cap this thing?
0: Oh, absolutely. Adele kind of has that nostalgic. Oh, the way things could have been kind of, uh, attitude and the way they went with this cold open, it was, uh, it was a pretty funny way to send it off Mm -hmm. and play them out. So yeah, I didn't think it was out of place or anything like that, if that's why you're asking.
1: No, no, I, I thought it was fitting myself. It, it's kind of a heart rending of breakup and that's how they want to frame sessions, right? Like he was kind of a, a doting servant of Trump. So it's going to be devastating that Trump no longer has a use for him. So it all makes sense in the little world that they've created there. Um, but I thought what really kind of made it work was just that they let Kate bring some of her theatrical dance to it, right? Like she really emoted and moved her body in a very operatic way, which we haven't really seen from Jeff Sessions. So it was just kind of nice that they just made him sort of a little bit more emotionally ramped up (laughs) and the song kind of just, you know, serviced that. So I thought that was actually a lot of fun. I think that this is probably Kate's best work as sessions if we were going to rank them. Um, so that was definitely working the cold open overall, not remarkable, but I felt like the song portion of it was
0: the highlight. It was definitely up there.
1: Yeah. All right. Good enough. Let's take a look at our monologue. Lev Schreiber wants to manage expectations and revel in the midterm
0: voter turnout. Well, you know, it started out a little shaky
1: mm-hmm.
0: first words out of his mouth were Hi, Uh <laughs> So yeah, he kind of tripped up a bit on his way out, but he did start to get into a flow of it. Mm -hmm. Albeit, you know, it was a still overall pretty boring monologue. Uh, And if they wanted to go that route with a low energy monologue from a non comedic actor, uh, I think the writing needs to be a little stronger, even make it the focus that, you know, he's not used to comedy. Right. I don't know. It just needed a little more going in the uh, actual material itself. Yeah. Now,
1: that's probably a fair point because this monologue was a fair bit longer in dress. They actually had a, a bit where Kate comes out and she's also playing up the idea that she's not looking for laughs, but you know, she's Kate. So it's almost inevitable that she's going to get them. So there was a whole other aspect to this that they carved out. And I think they probably did it because they felt like maybe they needed him to have more of just sort of a straight down the middle monologue without any curves to sort of be able to keep his flow going. Sure. It did seem like he was just barely getting through it. So I think maybe they just wanted to keep it as simple and quick as they possibly could and uh, just get into maybe some pre-tape material where he could shine. Um, So I was feeling that too. It was a little shaky, obviously didn't command the stage or really project a lot of confidence right out of the gate, but he did kind of turn it around because he's owning that, right? Since that is the theme of the monologue you kind of have to buy into that. Like, okay, you know, this is what he's bringing, but at least, you know, we're making fun of it. We're putting a lampshade on it. So that wasn't bothering me. Uh, I just feel like obviously they were managing the situation as best they could. And that was kind of apparent.
0: Oh, well, yeah. He is a very famous actor and he's rich. (laughs) He has very nice apartment.
1: And you know what? By the end of the monologue, I was having fun. Like that joke landed at the end, right? He brought it back around. He sold that, in an appropriate way for a non-comedic actor. So he had kind of, by the end of it, stepped out of the rehearsed speech cadence and stiltedness that he started with. And he seemed to be doing justice to the material. It just came a little bit later in the monologue. And because the monologue was so quick, there really wasn't much else you can really point at and say there was anything remarkable about it. So yeah, there, there wasn't anything stunning about it, but fortunately this was just competent enough to make me feel like we were still going to be okay with the show. <laughs> it didn't kill the the momentum, but it certainly didn't build to any great heights.
0: I suppose it does tie up together. Nice. But yeah, a lot could be said about where we started with that, but uh, we've seen worse. Absolutely. Yeah.
1: I didn't hate it. And you know, they quickly transitioned into the whole um, let's all pat ourselves on the back for voting bit of it. So there was kind of some, obligatory response from the audience over that, which it seemed like maybe it helped bring a bit of the energy back into the room. So, you know, overall this for what it was, which wasn't much actually, you know, it, it was serviceable. It worked. It, it, it got us into the show. If nothing else. <laughs> it did.
0: So let's get
1: into ours. Exactly. Let's get into the show for our first live sketch. Good day. Denver profiles the incest. I mean, invest twins.
0: Hey, it's an easy mistake to make. Everybody <laughs> does it. <laughs> It was a pretty good uh, spiritual sequel to uh, what the zoo photographer. Yeah, Danny Bangs animals. <laughs> <laughs> Danny Bangs animals. Yeah, it's it's a really funny concept. It makes for a lot of easy jokes, right? And when I say easy, I just mean it's ripe for uh, a bed of yes of writing material. Yeah, um, definitely good quality humor coming from this. And props to Cecily. She seems to be the shining star here, desperately trying to hold all this together and trying to undo the damage that she right. caused from her slip up. <laughs> that really works that, you know, she's uh, actually trying to put out fires. Right, right. And the fact that they can't really listen properly. They're like, oh, we, we have trouble hearing you, but okay, sounds good. <laughs> yeah. They don't even understand what's happening. Right. Right. And uh, yeah, it's a treat. It's a fun ride to take. Yeah. I love that
1: they brought in a couple more players to sort of help round it out and take it a bit further than they've taken it before. Like they brought in Heidi as a sister and then Kate as the mom. So that's a bit more ascending than this sketch shot for on previous outings. And I feel like, you know,
0: that, that was working pretty well. When you're going incest, you got to go big.
1: Yeah, exactly. (laughs) No half measures when it comes to this kind of a sketch. Um, (laughs) But obviously there's nothing deep here. There's nothing really worth dissecting. So why don't we just uh, let's keep moving.
0: Let's do that.
1: Okay. For our first pre-tape, we get a music video. It's time to put aside our differences and rally around the things that we all detest. What'd you make of this?
0: I think it works. It works because I, I felt I could relate to all the things. <laughs> sure. You know, I think everybody does universally hate everything. They listed off right down to the uh, cards stuck in the payment machine.
1: Right. Uh, yeah, it did work pretty good. I enjoyed the airplane runner, the best, you know, how they establish the idea of the out of touch pilot that cuts in over the movie when they don't want to hear from him. But then when there's turbulence and everyone in the back is freaking out, he's just, you know, cool, calm and collected and (laughs) not interested in letting anyone know what's going on with the airplane. Uh, There's some truth there that
0: I'm sure a lot of people can relate to. And that was a lot of fun. It's the deadpan that he can do really well. Yeah. And he got a good moment with the pilot role.
1: (laughs) Yes, absolutely. Um, I don't have much else on it. It is very relatable. It was a lot of fun. It was a catchy tune. This is high Mark so far for the show. I I think what they're coming up with is really just fun and silly and I I was enjoying it. So I'm good. Uh, yeah, I'm good with that one too. All right. So let's take a look at our next live sketch. Colleen Rafferty is back to describe her unpleasant encounter with a supernatural entity.
0: I did enjoy, you know, her, upper Decker (laughs) demonstration. And that's what the best part of these are is it's the go-to celebrity humiliation vehicle.
1: Right. Yeah.
0: To put them in an uncomfortable situation where, you know, they, they just have to squirm and cringe. And, uh, if nothing else, it does not fail in, in producing comedy from that. Sure. But we've seen this before. We've seen it done better. Uh, there's only so many rhymes. You can come up with your (laughs) female anatomy. You know, some of the things that make this wheel turn is getting a little bit rusty. Yeah. That's all I'll say.
1: Yeah. We are definitely getting diminishing returns from it. I felt like it was fun, but I didn't need to see it. I didn't get excited to see it. When Ryan Gosling was hosting, we were excited to see it because we knew kind of how this sketch hits him like a ton of bricks. And we hadn't seen it so many times that we didn't feel like there was maybe something more they could do with it. And they did. They amped it up by letting Kate like really go to town on his butt. And uh, that just kind of made for even a more exciting, inventive outing with Colleen Rafferty. Whereas this time it felt like they were sticking to the playbook. Liev isn't quite as giggly and breakable as Ryan Gosling. So as much as Kate was trying her best, I don't feel like they really got anything out of Liev that made this remarkable. So as far as the, like you said, put the host (laughs) in an uncomfortable situation kind of vehicle, I don't feel like there was anything that really made that aspect of it memorable. Um, And other than that, the writing was all fine. You know, they filled in the blanks with sufficiently clever new ideas, but there was nothing really rousing about it. So I don't know. Uh, not a loss per se, but it certainly didn't excite me. Uh, I'm, I'm on the same boat. Okay. Moving on. Let's take a look at our next pre-tape. We get another music video. The booty Kings are on a mission, but first they got to ask
0: permission. Got to get consent for that booty. <laughs> it's certainly a very strong cognitive dissonance for the people who champion for respect of women and all that, but also really love their gangster hip hop. <laughs> sure. For all the nice things you could say about rap and, and, uh, you know, urban type music, it's often not, you know, painting the best picture of of females in their community. Sure. So that is kind of a dilemma that (laughs) we take advantage of for comedy in a music video like this. I think it works. I think it's funny. It's a hilarious uh, contrast. Mm -hmm. And it just makes the whole thing kind of bizarre when you try to you know, remove all of what's wrong with it. Right. But still have it there.
1: Yes. Yeah. All the trappings of it, but the innocence that people are championing right now. Uh, there's definitely a comment to be made. Yeah. So to see that on display in the most extreme, ridiculous form, hilarious, great starting point for a sketch and funny all the way through. Um, a little hard to track some of the rap lyrics, especially from the guest poppins, who are actual rappers that kind of have their own cadence and approach to the lyrical style. Um, finding that a little tricky, but the editing of it, the, the flare of it, the flash words on the screen, all of that was a lot of fun. And I thought, you know, Keenan and Red, perfect duo for this kind of material. Yeah. This was fun. Um, and a perfect lead in to our musical performances. Little Wayne performs can't be broken with Halsey and uproar with Swizz beats. What'd you make of our musical performances for the night?
0: Um, I'm aware of little Wayne, you know, I've heard his stuff and I know what he's about. He's, he's a bit of a hard ticket. (laughs) I I enjoyed Halsey. I enjoyed Swizz beats. Band was good. Drummer was, you know, given a lot to do on the hi hat and Mm -hmm. thought it was a great thing.
1: Yeah, you just stole my only note. Um, I love the drummer. I loved that he had such a a crisp little rhythm going there on the hi-hat, and he was relying heavily on the splash for something a little thinner for the accents. It was just, yeah, it was just really crisp. That's the only word I could think of to describe what he was doing. Um, Very impressive percussion. I had a lot of fun with this. I, I was really enjoying what they were doing. I don't think they were taking themselves too seriously, especially in that second number. You know, he's got his, his background dancers. He's got his, <laughs> he's got Swiss beats, just, you know, giving them all of the encouragement that a backup could give you You're like, yeah, huh, yeah. <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> like I, I got to get me one of those just to walk around with me and uh, just keep me pumped up and just jazzed all day long. Um, I really like that. I, I, <laughs> I thought it was kind of ridiculous, but, charming and fun at the same time. So, Hey, yeah, this, this was good. I, <laughs> I was digging it.
0: Yeah, no, a plus. All right. Let's take a look at weekend update
1: for their lead in. Jostin Che discussed the midterm election results. What'd you think of the opening salvo this week?
0: Uh, I thought there were some good jokes in there. Mm-hmm. Love Trump's uh quote unquote slurs. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, never really saw it before, but yeah, Matt Whitaker definitely does look like Michael Chiklis. So overall, I thought it was great. Had some great moments. Just, uh, just was having fun the whole time.
1: Yeah, very good. I thought it was pretty solid. Uh, Joe's had a couple fumbly moments there early on, like with the Florida bit, he didn't really, (laughs) uh, hit the ground running with that one too well. So it, it fizzled a little bit, but other than a couple moments like that. The material was all good. It was all funny stuff. Enjoyed it a lot. Um, But no sooner do Jost and Che get into their material than Cecily Strong comes out, channeling her best Molly Shannon as the microphone-grabbing White House press intern. What did you think of this walk-on? Was this uh, funny considering the week's events?
0: Yeah. It was a very Marco Rubio grabbing for a water bottle type moment. Sure. Uh, Just the whole awkwardness of it was funny to harp on. Mm -hmm. And... Cecily did an amazing job. <laughs> it basically was broken down to her having two contradicting goals. She's trying to be you know, out of sight, but also get that microphone. <laughs> and she obviously can't do both at the same time. Yet she tries her hardest. And right down to that roll across the background <laughs> with her legs sticking out. This was amazing physical comedy right up there with the greats like Chris Farley. Sure. This was a treat to see. And, you know, for all of the, the tools that Cecily has in her bag, when it comes to performance, it's easy to forget that, uh, you know, slapstick is one of them. Sure.
1: <laughs> and it was dead on. You know, if you've seen the video that's been making the rounds, you watch the intern's eyes where she's just mortified being in this position. She's kind of darting back and forth, trying to get the cues from her higher ups about whether she's actually going to try and engage this guy and get the mic. And she's just like a deer in headlights, but (laughs) she's feeling the heat. She's feeling the pressure. So she goes for it. And it's just such an awkward little grab that she does. That's easily, you know, deflected, um, by the reporter. So this, this, captured all of that, you know, her nervousness, but also her aggressiveness with it and just her righteousness in believing that what she's doing is actually a reasonable thing. Um, she just managed to embody all of that. And I, I really did feel strongly that she was consciously looking to some of the physical comedy that Molly Shannon would do, or some of the performance beats that Molly Shannon would do in developing this character because it just, it, it, it felt so at home with what you might see from Molly Shannon back in the day. So I liked it. I thought this was really good.
0: Oh, absolutely. One of the highlights of the night.
1: So what'd you think of our first feature? Pete Davidson apologizes to Lieutenant Commander Dan Crenshaw and takes his lumps.
0: I thought it was pretty big of Pete to do this piece. I think part of him felt compelled to do it or, or Otis to fans and foes alike Mm -hmm. after, uh, after the fallout. Now, personally, I wasn't overly offended for the guy. I think there's room to make fun of uh, his appearance and also respect him for his sacrifices and the risks he's taken for his country. Sure. But I think they did this so tastefully. It was so well done, and it seemed like Crenshaw enjoyed participating, uh, not only in the comedy, but having a moment to say a few things about uh, about the veterans. Right. This was a really nice piece, and I thought it was appropriate, and uh, Definitely welcomed.
1: Yeah. See, I really generally dislike it when SNL feels like it has to apologize for a tasteless joke. I just generally think that you should draw a hard line on not making yourself obligated to every naysayer that may take exception with something that you may joke about on a comedy show. So right out of the gate, I was kind of feeling apprehensive, like I'm really going to hate this. So I was surprised that I actually enjoyed it as much as I did and felt like it was handled exceptionally well. Um, if they could win me over someone that was already just kind of bracing for frustration, (laughs) the the second Pete showed up, uh, I'm amazed at how quickly they won me over. And there was two things in particular that I thought really worked about this or that were maybe just kind of uplifting about it. The first thing was that Dan Crenshaw was classy enough to not come out swinging at Pete in the media, right? Like he had a tweet about it or whatever. And you know, he, he he made it clear that he's no pushover, but he also made it clear that he has no interest in, you know, crying about it or forcing Pete into an apology or making an issue of it. He was going to take the high road Mm -hmm. and he was going to let a tasteless joke just hang out there as a tasteless joke to Pete's detriment, which is the smart and just really classy way of handling this kind of thing. And what I wish more people would do rather than be so quick to rally around every little non-controversy and blow it up into something more than it needs to be. Sometimes, you know, you just ignore something and it, it can just be its own stupid little thing that people can just roll their eyes at. And that's more damaging than if you were to go on the offensive and try and get your apology and, and your retribution for it. So the fact that he already kind of was classy about it made me like him but then also the fact that the show was good natured enough to let him come on and and do some gentle ribbing and and have some fun at Pete's expense. And just everybody in the scene showing that we can be bigger than a dumb joke that really felt good. And I was surprised to see it because that's not usually how these things are handled. Everyone's usually on the defensive or the offensive, and it just turns into some kind of a cringy circus and When that didn't happen and then they were able to fold it all into a nice little finding of common ground with two people that have both had a measure of tragedy or sacrifice in their life, Pete with his dad and uh, Dan Crenshaw, you know, with his own service. That's a pretty clever turn and a pretty clever bow to put on all this. And at the end of it, I was just scratching my head saying, how did they do that? Like, how did they work through that material in such a way that it felt so right. (laughs) So I'm going to applaud it and say good on them for all figuring out a more decent way of putting this to bed that really no one can find fault with.
0: Yeah. I'm surprised.
1: Yeah. Cool. And that's pretty much weekend update. It was a little bit light this week, but what they did uh, certainly covered all the necessary bases. It did. Yeah. All right. Well, let's take a look at the back half of the show. We get a live sketch Live at the MeUndies theater in Portland. It's the potties. Whoa. <laughs> Hit a little too close to home.
0: Yeah. <laughs> What'd you think? Uh, I was laughing cause I thought it was a matter of time before, you know, we'd get a podcast centric sketch sure. on SNL and we'd be here being like, Hey, that's what we do. <laughs> uh, yeah. So here we are doing that. And, uh. Being a fan of the medium, I think they really nailed all the elements that any podcast listener would recognize. (laughs) Uh, The sponsor plugs, they're always (laughs) jarring.
1: Hi, guys. I wanted to jump out of the cast for just a minute to talk about some of the fun rewards we're offering our listeners through Patreon. If you're not aware, patreon.com, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com, forward slash SNL podcast is where our most awesome listeners can pledge their support for the show and in turn receive a variety of patron-only rewards. You can pledge any amount you want, and for as little as $4 a month, you'll get early ad-free access to each new podcast episode on Mondays immediately after we record. But that's not all we're offering. Our patrons can have us promote their shows, events, businesses, or products, they can get us to perform an SNL sketch on the cast, or even join us as a guest reviewer. We're offering seven reward levels from NBC page all the way up to Lauren Michaels. So head over to patreon.com forward slash SNL podcast and check them out. It's your support. That'll ensure that we can keep the cast going for future seasons. And we're so grateful to everyone who's already pitched in like Catherine Coleman, who's climbing through the ranks at UCB in New York city. Catherine, thank you so much for your support. And now back to the show.
0: And there's always more unnecessary podcasts than necessary ones. Right. It's kind of a problem. I mean, you could even argue it was ours necessary <laughs> I don't plan on arguing that but okay you could I said you could sure, we're sure. no we're not gonna do that but yeah it was uh it was really funny and um it was prime real estate for good parody okay and they pulled it off well on top of it so this is a win for me all
1: right. See, I really wanted to like this because this is supposed to be speaking our language. You know, we, if anyone's going to get the jokes, it should be our ilk, the podcast enthusiast. Um, but you know what? I felt like the jokes that they were finding were so specific that I bet a lot of people were kind of left in the dark on a lot of this. And I just feel like the specificity of what they were goofing on just didn't lend itself to hilarious material it's giggle worthy. Like, Oh yeah. Podcasts do do that. Right. Like you do get that little moment of, Oh yeah. Yeah. They're touching on something that I can relate to. Oh, I see what they're doing there, but that's not belly laughs. It's amusing, but I didn't find this exceptionally funny. And I feel like probably could have cut this one down. There was a lot of stuff, especially in the the back half of this sketch that I don't think was playing that well, just because they were already digging too deep on a topic that I just don't feel had too much to offer.
0: I mean, even if you don't, Listen to podcasts and you, and you don't get that side of it. There's still some good side gags, like 80 Brian's character being dead. Sure. <laughs> after her brush with the El Chapo type. Right.
1: Yeah. Yeah. For what it was, it was okay. Yeah. Yep. Let's keep moving here. We get another pre-tape on house hunters Anne and in John weigh the pros and cons of their prospective new homes. Hehehe. <laughs>
0: This is goofy stuff. This is what I come to see. Mm -hmm. It hits every editing beat and every production (laughs) cliche in the book for these house hunting type shows. Uh, and they crank up everything else outside of that just to a thousand. Right. With like cartoon level absurdity. Mm -hmm. And that's the real beauty of it. They're speaking the same language, that recognizable language of these reality shows. Um, but yeah, once you start getting into vertical flooring and all this ridiculous stuff, uh, it's great. It's hilarious how far you can use those editing techniques and how absurd you can get it. And it still kind of works on some meta level.
1: hmm The fact that if you just kind of squint and watch this without paying too close of attention, you'd think you were watching the real show. I think that speaks volumes about just how good they are at capturing the essence and stupidity of reality television, where you take such a banal conversation and use all of the tricks in the book to make it more engaging than it should be. Uh, so it had all that work and right out of the gate and the absurdity, the writing in this, all of the funny little stupid curves that they throw you throughout this sketch were really really good, really, really funny. And kudos to the effects team to be able to pull off some of what they pulled off in this. Uh toilets on the ceiling and uh floors that never end like never ending slides. Uh yeah, good on them. This is quality work that they can pull this together in a week and it was a lot of fun.
0: Yep. And uh props to Leslie For uh, nailing that persona um, Mm -hmm. and that just the way that they're so obviously directed to speak. (laughs) She had the exact cadence and tone that you would expect from one of those real shows.
1: Right. They're being coached to have a seemingly, you know, casual, intimate conversation about a serious topic, but you can tell that, well, there's a camera on them. So they're reacting as such. You can feel it in the back and forth that they're kind of playing the part. Um, They found it. They definitely found it. Better writing in this than I was expecting. I think that's really my final word on it is just, this was better than it had any business being. It should have been really forgettable, but it was one of the better pieces of the night. And that really surprised me. Yeah. Let's keep moving. We get another live sketch. A new to the neighborhood family introduced their rambunctious sons to their neighbors.
0: See, this is one of the advantages of having a team like Kyle and Beck, who've been working together so long, you know, they are like brothers. Mm -hmm. And so for them to play brothers you know, you buy that right away. Sure. And you don't have to take our word for it that it went well because <laughs> anyone who was not Beck and Kyle was having a rough go trying to keep it together. Sure,
1: yeah. Uh, yeah. Even Cecily, you know, she uh, is usually pretty, pretty poised and controlled, but you could tell that she was barely holding it together.
0: Yep. You know, just the whole backstory that this creates uh, at what point, did the family decide that a hose needed to be (laughs) kept inside and and ready to go at all times. Yeah. This
1: isn't the first time that they had to stun their boys into submission. (laughs)
0: Yeah. Yeah. And like as cranked up as that is, and as exaggerated as that is, I think anyone who had two boys uh, really close in age, you know, when they got to that, you know, double digit 11, 12 years old,
1: there's some truth there for sure.
0: There is for sure. Yep. Yeah. I think, uh, I think that's why it works so well. Yep. Because it's relatable.
1: Yep. I liked it too. If this had just been a quick little peek in on the insanity of having two like tweeny age boys that are all, you know, piss and vinegar and constantly wrestling and brawling and trying to one up each other, if it was just that for two minutes, it would have been a win of a sketch. Yeah. What really made this great was. That the one boy decides to call out the family for the accident of the second one. Like at one point, the parents to maybe, you know, calm him down or soothe him in a a moment of jealousy or something revealed to him that the other child was a surprise. And he's now using that to his advantage and putting everyone on edge in the moment that that's a lot of fun. Like that's, that's that cringy moment that just makes this a little bit better than the sketch needed to be. So I had a lot of fun with that too, when it took that little turn. So yeah, all across the board. I I thought that this was working pretty
0: good. I'm happy with this pull back half actually.
1: Very good. That brings us to our 10 to one sketch, the pilot episode of Dave's outside the women's bathroom.
0: Perfect 10 to one material. eh? Yep. It's something that just falls apart under any, uh, any closer look at all. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You just, you, you would really start to question the motivations of Dave for coming up with a pilot like this and, you know, his optimism in, in whether it would work. (laughs) Sure. Live, you know, as bland as he might've been throughout the night, his kind of cluelessness really worked here. Mm -hmm. And yeah, Heidi, especially uh, rounded it out really well. So this was actually a lot more fun than (laughs) such a contrived uh, premise could potentially be.
1: Uh, Yeah, I think what really makes this fun is how earnest and innocent Dave is about the whole situation. For whatever reason, he's the type of just kind of like happy-go-lucky idiot that it never occurs to him that this premise that he's come up with is terribly off-putting and inappropriate in every way. Like that just never entered his mind. You don't get the sense that he's like a pervert or that he's doing this because you know, he's a creep or that he's trying to prey on women. Like there's nothing yeah. dark about it. It's totally innocent, but totally inappropriate. And so to see that embodied in Dave, that's a lot of fun. Just, just to see him in the moment, trying to keep it together and and be positive and keep the flow of the show going as everything's kind of crumbling around him. That's a lot of fun. And Heidi as well plays into that because you think that she's going to be put off by the inappropriateness of it or just the inappropriateness of him skulking around a women's bathroom instead of giving her attention. Like there's a lot of reasons why she should be upset, but deep down we get to the heart of the issue, which is that she just really loves him and she fears losing him. And it's just like a surprisingly sweet little moment they have in the midst of this terribly inappropriate scenario. And yeah, all of that just kind of swirled together, made for a surprisingly fun 10 to one.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Great way to end off the night. Yep. Okay. Well, that's the recap. Let's talk moment of the night. I think my moment of the night is, uh, Cecily's barrel roll when <laughs> she was the White House intern. Yep. Trying to grab that mic. Her vain attempt at stealth was, uh, was laughable and, uh, definitely stuck out as a moment.
1: Okay. Good enough. Yeah. That was one of my favorite surprise performances of the night. Um, I'm going with Lieutenant Commander Dan Crenshaw's first impressions at Pete Davidson's expense. Uh, I think that was fun. I think that everybody played their role, you know, like Pete was sufficiently put off, but had to sit there and take it and just kind of be a little self-deprecating in the moment. Dan Crenshaw was surprisingly comfortable at the desk. You know, he wasn't a performer by any means. You could tell that he, he doesn't really have that performer delivery, but he did surprisingly well. It wasn't fumbly. It was confident. He knew what he was there to do and he executed very well. So all of that was very surprising. And again, you know, I'm not going to go back over all the reasons why I thought this was a big win other than just to say that it was surprisingly like refreshing and uplifting to see an issue like this handled in such a dignified way.
0: So for that, pretty good moment. Good moment. Indeed. Good pick. Best sketch. I think the best sketch tonight was house hunters. Mm Mm-hmm. Really great pre-tape. It was uh, a blend of the accuracy of the genre that they were going with and the absolute hilarious, you know, alternative comedy direction that they went with this. Yeah. Yeah. It's fresh kind of new voice that the SNL team has welcomed in Mm -hmm. uh, over the last few years. And uh, I just love that this is something you can tune in and see on a semi-regular basis. Yeah. And I think it's great that we get an outlet for that now.
1: Yeah, it had a level of absurdity that I wasn't expecting and that was a lot of fun. I agree. I'm going with house hunters. I think if you step back and just look at the actual writing and then look at how they deliver the lines and then how they edit on top of that. And then how they layer the effects on top of that. If you just look at this from conception to execution and look at how adeptly everyone involved did their part to make this so tight and fun and surprising and quirky and weird. It just worked. It just worked really well. So it's going to get
0: my uh, best sketch as well. Way to go. MVP. Huh? You know, I'm thinking it belongs to Cecily this week. (laughs) All
1: right. Not going to be a whole lot of controversy. Why in particular, what was so stunning from Cecily tonight?
0: Well, it was the, uh, Bang on impression of that uh, (laughs) awkward moment in the news with the um, White House intern trying to grab that microphone. Mm -hmm. Uh, That was incredible physical comedy. And her impression of Sarah Koenig is so bang on. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think she deserves it. Yep. Uh, Unfortunately, it's not that hard to steal from the host this week. You know, as great as Liv was at times, he obviously wasn't born to be hosting SNL
1: now, before I, uh, give my MVP, why don't we just talk about that quickly? Cause I think it's worth discussing a little bit about him as a host, because we've had almost nothing to say about him. He was fairly well represented in most of the live material tonight, but he never really gave us anything too, you know, noteworthy to talk about. So just sum up how you feel about his performance.
0: Well, you can be a host that's really good and adds a lot to the show. Mm-hmm. But you can also be a host that could potentially, you know, take from the show, hinder it. Mm-hmm. And as long as you're just not getting in the way, I think you're doing a good job. Right. And if Liv Schreiber, you know, if he's not in his exact wheelhouse, if he's kind of got to rely on support from the real comedians, there's a way to do that and, and just be a supporting player and come off looking really good. Mm-hmm. And I think he walked that line as well as, as you could. Okay. Uh, more or less. And as a result, we wouldn't be talking about, Oh, did you see uh leave Schreiber do this and this sketch, you know, but we're not talking about how, you know, it was just such an awkward out of place presence that it ruined the whole sketch either. Right. So I think that's uh, where we stand uh, in terms of what he brought to the show.
1: Okay. Yeah. I'm not too far off, but I think I was a little warmer on him than you, because there were a few points throughout the night where I kind of perked up and said, he's doing some, pretty solid character work and he's actually helping the sketch a bit. A few examples, Colleen Rafferty as the middle guy (laughs) in the seats, he had a pretty fully realized hit character and he played it well. He had sufficiently dumb looks on his face, a a sufficiently good like drawl and mannerism to sell the kind of spaced out character that they wanted to present. So he was handling that really, really well. And then even the podcast sketch. As the second host with the slow, deliberate broadcast delivery, he hit that. He found it. He was really good with that. And then look at the pre-tapes. Everything that he did in the pre-tapes was great. And obviously, you know, you get a few takes. They don't have a lot of time on set to really let you explore your character. But with the constraints of those productions, he still managed to find really good beats for everything he was doing, especially in House Hunters. Like that all worked really well. The looks that he gave, like when they're trapping Pete Davidson in the basement was sufficiently creepy, his back and forth with Leslie flowed and worked really well as that kind of a character on a reality show. So I was actually surprisingly impressed. And you know what? Let's not discount Dave's outside the women's bathroom. A couple fumbly moments in that, but overall he found that earnestness and was able to step into that material and embody it in a good way. Like he, he found the characters and I think that maybe just says something about his acting ability more than his sketch comedy ability, but for the roles that they put him in, I thought he handled himself pretty darn good.
0: I was surprised. Yeah. I think you nailed it.
1: Yeah. Now that doesn't make him remarkable. No, no. But for whatever reason, the show knew that he could handle himself and he did. Exactly. We didn't have high expectations for him as a host, but I felt like he actually delivered as much as he needed to kind of like what you said to make sure that the show wasn't a flop. He served the show if not elevated it. So yeah, that was working. Now, uh, back to MVP. I'm going with Cecily. Ditto. Don't need to retread all that. She did great. She always does. Uh, particularly in weekend update. That was a lot of fun. So I'm going with Cecily as well on a scale of classic, great, decent weak, or train wreck. How would you rate this episode?
0: I think this one deserves a great, mm-hmm. I think, uh, any hiccups or trips along the way were minor enough that it didn't bring down the overall quality. You know, we got a strong cold open. We wanted a little more from the monologue, but it was serviceable. <laughs> right. And we got some okay recurring sketches and some a little bit better recurring sketches as well. Mm-hmm. And I thought the pre-tapes were solid. I thought weekend update was on fire. And it had a little bit of a shout out to podcasts. You know, we can't not (laughs) appreciate that where we're here talking about it on one. So, yeah, I think it's uh, definitely a great caliber episode.
1: Okay. Uh, I was coming into this feeling that it was squarely decent. There was nothing particularly bad but there was very few moments that I thought actually got into great territory. I thought house hunters in particular, it was good weekend update definitely had some moments as it has the whole season. So I was pretty set on decent. And as we've gone through the material, I'm feeling a little bit warmer on the show, but there's a couple things that I still feel are going to keep me from offering it a great one is Lev Schreiber as good as he was, with the material he was given you could tell that they weren't getting adventurous with him right. he was very much in the supporting character roles you know which would play more to his strengths so they didn't go out on a limb too much with him. So that wasn't the most exciting use of a host. So that doesn't necessarily scream great. Um, and the other thing is the Colleen Rafferty thing. I just, I don't feel like we needed to go back to that. I would have liked a little bit more fresh material. I'd like to see what else some of the new writers could bring to the table. So to have another outing with that, that was less remarkable than the last time. And is just reminding me that some of these Kate vehicles are really quickly running out of steam. That wasn't helping the show. I didn't feel, but, by and large, there isn't a whole lot you can point at and say it was anything less than decent. So not quite enough to elevate me into great territory, but I felt like it was really solid and really serviceable. The the worst moments were serviceable and most of it was just pretty darn good. So I'm going decent.
0: Okay. So I'm just a little more generous. That's all.
1: Yeah. No, I mean like one more rewatch and I very well could be up into great territory. This is an episode that I feel like I warmed up on the more I was watching it and the more I think about it. So I'm only a hairbreadth away from great, but I'm still going to try and be a little more measured because there just wasn't a whole lot that was remarkable. There was just a lot of good stuff here, but I wouldn't say a lot of like great, great stuff, not enough to offer it a solid, great. So a high, decent.
0: I watched it three times. eh? I let it grow on me. (laughs) Well, there
1: you go. I only watched it twice. So that's obviously the difference. (laughs) There you go. All right. uh, That's all I got. Anything else? No, we nailed that one. Sweet. That's a cast. Thanks as always to Steve Finn. And thanks as well to our most generous patrons, Sam Bowers, Aaron and Trader, Jonathan Jordan, and Caleb Pope. If you're enjoying our podcast, please consider supporting us on Patreon. Our patrons get early, ad-free access to each new podcast episode, as well as many other exclusive member rewards. You can learn more about all the ways you can support the cast at snlafterparty.fm. We'll be back in one week when SNL returns with host Steve Carell and musical guest Ella May. Until then, this has been episode number 60 of the Saturday Night Live After Party Podcast. I'm John Murray. Good night and have a pleasant tomorrow.
0: Thanks to Lil Wayne, Halsey, Swiss Beats, Robert De Niro, Lieutenant Commander Dan Crenshaw. Great night. Thank you so much. Thank you. Oh, my God, Carla, what is your problem? I'm shooting.
1: My problem is you're hosting a talk show outside of a women's bathroom. and, And I'm
0: worried that your show's gonna take off and you're gonna get so famous that you're gonna leave me because you're so big now. Oh, Carla, come on now, baby, that's crazy. What are you doing? I mean, your new kids got you meeting all these fresh, straight <laughs> out of the bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> oh, baby, I don't like any of them. They all got dirty hands. <laughs> but you sweetheart, you're gonna be my producer. Really? Yeah. Oh my god, I yeah. so horny, I could cry. <laughs> baby, just give me 15 minutes to finish the show. I don't want to keep uh, making the bus boys almost like this, all right? Uh, Come okay, on. Okay, well, you're producer. Dude, so high. This is amazing. Your your producer says, get back to work. All right, baby.